Well, as Howard said, uh, there are a hundred women on a retreat this weekend. So guys, we got to vote for something today. Ready to vote? At least in my home, to be honest with you though, uh, I got four guys, three girls, and we still get outvoted. So I don't know if there's much hope for us guys, no matter what, we're going to get outvoted on that deal. Um, let me read now a section of scripture, if I could. This is uh, Mark chapter 12, and this is the New Testament reading. This is 28 through 34. Hear God's word. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well. He asked them, what commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is is, is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have, you have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Amen. Well, if you notice, in your pews, there is a little card, and if uh, there's not one that you can't have, we have some more cards at the back on the way out. Uh, the card, and if you're really astute today, you may recognize that this is a card that actually I passed out on December 28th. Now, raise your hand if you were here worshiping on December 28th. I just want to see, what, okay, right, Bill, okay, Jimmy, all right, there are a few of you all around. So, to be honest with you, I have changed the sermon. I have changed the sermon. <laughs> All right, now you may get a little bit more at the second time, I hope, than the first time, but there was such a small crowd on the 28th, I thought, this is worth a redo. This is worth a redo. If nothing else, this is a darn good bookmarker, all right? So if the sermon don't, you're going to like this as a bookmarker, I promise. It'll be good to have. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you again for your presence here. We thank you for your Holy Spirit's work. Lord, that you um, communicate your truth to us. And Lord, as we know the truth... Lord, we become free in Christ. So, Lord, we ask that your spirit might use uh, my words uh, to encourage each of us uh, to know you and love you more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to move a little bit because uh, my messages are here on these cards, and I can do that. Let me ask you a question. What was the worst year of your life? What was the worst year of your life? Hmm. Well, to be honest with you, I probably had the three worst years of my life, and they were called, at least when I was there, junior high junior high now there might be a few not quite junior high yet i'm not seeing too many junior high kids here today but probably the worst three years of my life are junior high now elementary school you know that's cool that was pretty pretty basic but when i hit junior high girls oh my gosh girls and i remember there was a kid came over to me one time and, and a couple of these stories you might have heard me say before but i had these kid this kid came over one time and said, walked over to me and i was in junior high and he looked at me and said gosh you're ugly well, I probably figured he was right. Uh, he was probably accurate. And because uh, you, know, you, don't, you don't get a lot of love from your peers in junior high, right? I mean, they kind of throw you to the ground. They say something, you know, they kind of put you down kind of deal. Uh, my parents didn't get a lot of I love you from at home, not a lot of hugs at home at my house, secure, stable, but not a lot of that. And God at that time to me was kind of a rule giver, kind of do's and don'ts, you know, and kind of a judge and I had to kind of do certain things. So I wasn't getting a lot of understanding of love from my uh, religious upbringing as well. Now I told you all this before, but probably in my 20s, 
Uh, I went to a camp in Colorado, and I was just beginning to understand grace and kind of who God is, the God of the Scripture was. And that summer, 19, uh, would have been about 74, uh, I was on the way to the cafeteria one morning, and I had just seen God's love in a special, different ways. And I stopped in the, uh, on the way to the cafeteria, and I just said, God, I love you. And right after I said that, I looked on the ground between my feet. It was a little, remember the story I told you before, a little plastic heart. That little heart said, I love you. I went, (laughs) and God said, yeah, you, I love you. Well, that was a paradigm shift in my experience from kind of a rule giver and legalism to God of grace and love. Paradigm shift in my thinking, my understanding of who God is. My wife and I went to a Michael W. Smith concert uh, about two weeks ago at Amarillo High. If you're a a Christian music fan, Michael W. Smith is a name you've heard a long time. But anyway, and this is an amazing story. In the concert, Michael W. Smith said this. I was raised in a Christian home, and uh, about 13, I accepted Christ into my life. And probably a little bit later, I understood the role of the Holy Spirit. But he said, one time I was 20 years old, he said, I was... uh, I was at home, and the Lord spoke to me. And now, and Michael says, you know, the Lord, he speaks to, you know, in concert with the Word, and hearing voices all the time might be a little funny. He said that, but he said, you know, the Lord spoke to me. And, I, and he said, they said, the Lord spoke to me, and he said this. He said, he said, Mike, I love you. I am very fond of you. Signed, Papa. Papa. So Michael said that changed his whole understanding of how he related to God. A God of grace, a God of love. You know, and that is so consistent with God and who he is. If you look at the scripture, you see the same sort of God, don't you? This this pursuing God, this God who initiates towards us to want to communicate his love and his plan and his provision. Look at the scripture. It's consistent, this initiating God. Uh, What happened in in, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve? You know, they rebelled from God. What did God do? Went in the garden and said this, where are you, Adam? Where are you? The seeking God, the initiating God. Uh, Abraham, we took Abraham from from the... Ur the Chaldees, and said, said, Abraham, I have a plan for you. You're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. He brought Abraham from the land of Ur and brought him into the promised land. Uh, Noah as well. Noah was one of those, you know, you've seen the movie, not a real good one probably, but the movie's out there. But he had a plan. He said, Noah, you've got to build an ark. It was God's initiative, God's initiative and love towards people. King David, King David was watching sheep. God had a plan. He loved David. He said, David, I'm going to take you from the sheep pen, you know, to the king's uh, mansion. He said, I have a plan for you. God's initiating love in the life of David. All throughout the Old Testament, you see God initiating a love relationship. Well, the most miraculous expression of love ever seen is what? God becoming man in Jesus Christ. The most miraculous expression of God's initiating love is Jesus Christ becoming human. And what do you see in the life of Jesus? Jesus initiated towards a bunch of fishermen by the Sea of Galilee, saying, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. A bunch of tax collectors in a booth and in a tree. Uh, Jesus initiates towards them and says, come, follow me. A bunch of lepers in a leper colony. Jesus initiates and says, come, follow me. A demoniac hiding in a cemetery. Jesus comes and says, come, follow me. Jesus initiating love. Jesus initiating love. Peter denies Jesus. Jesus initiates back towards him and says, come, follow me. The apostle Paul persecuting the church. Jesus appears to the apostle Paul, initiates a love relationship with him and says, Paul, I have plans for you. Throughout scripture, the initiating love of Jesus Christ. Have you come to experience that in your own life? 
If you encounter something you don't understand, you go back to what you do understand, Jesus Christ loves you. Bottom line. That's it, isn't it? I love the expression of God, the visual of Jesus Christ, God being the hound of heaven. I can just hear the hound. Is that a hound sounds like? Anyway, but the idea is the hound of heaven pursuing you. And the only thing is, if you would stop running, you stop running, you stop, you know, we're rebellious, and we'd stop, the hound of heaven pursues you. It's kind of like the, kind of like the paws of Aslan, you know, Aslan, the Chronicles of Narnia, surrounding you with his love. If we just stop running, the initiating love of Christ. Have you experienced that? Do you know that in your heart? Bottom line, all else fails. The love of Jesus Christ. Is that, is that true to you? Have you experienced that love in a fresh way? Okay. Now, uh, in the section of Scripture that, that I read was a story of a person asking Jesus what are, the, what are the, uh, the most important commandments. And that underlying initiating love of God, that's the foundation here. And then Jesus says two things. The two greatest commandments are, are what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Two best commandments, two greatest commandments. And so what I want to unpack today a little bit is that, is that first sentence first is that when, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, responding to the love of God. You're responding. You're not initiating. You're responding. If you look at the little outline on your, uh, in this little, little card here, there are eight little prepositions. There are eight prepositions that I believe responding to God's love is an act of grace as well. It's God's work in your life enabling you to respond in love to his love. So God's the initiator. And we're the responder. And these eight prepositions, talking about Jesus, I believe um, if we grasp these eight prepositions, they will um, instruct us in how we respond to the love of Christ. These eight different prepositions. Okay. The first preposition, if you you have a pen, I'd be really impressed. You want to pull out your pen and fill in the blanks. But uh, there's eight prepositions. And the first preposition is through Christ. Through Christ, our mediator. The first one is through Christ, our mediator. Now, you might say, well, I don't need Jesus to get to God. I know I can, you know, aren't there many ways to God? There are many, I can, I don't need Jesus, do I? Well, you got a couple of problems. One is ignorance. Uh, our understanding and who God is, they are, they are far apart. How can you really know God unless he takes the initiative to reveal himself? So you've got, a, you've got an ignorance problem as far as who God is. And secondly, you have a rebellion problem. Uh, we had a, a prayer of confession a little while ago. We are sinners. We are rebellious. So not only do we have an, an intelligence problem, we have a moral problem. There are two serious issues and problems that we face. I love the expression that Jesus was the most inclusive person who ever lived. He, he loved everybody, as I said. He was a very inclusive person. But his claims were very exclusive. They were very exclusive. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So why Jesus was very inclusive of his person, he was very exclusive with his claims. So you see, if there was any other way to get to God except through Christ who died on the cross for your sins, the cross would be unnecessary. Why would Jesus need to die if there was another way to get to God? Jesus' claims were very exclusive. You see, Jesus revealed the Father. Uh, he, he satisfied our need for it to know. As you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So he satisfied our need to know more clearly who God is. And also his death was redemptive. He died the death that you deserve, that you might live the life that he wants for you. So his death was redemptive. So Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way to get to the Father. Praise be to God that we might know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, our mediator. Secondly is this, on Christ, our foundation. On Christ, our foundation. The, um, 
Every builder knows the fact that if you're going to build a structure, you need a solid foundation. The higher up you go, the deeper you need to go as far as your foundation is concerned. And you know in life we all experience storms, ups and downs, and we need something secure. We need something stable in that regard. Well, this preposition on describes our response to Jesus. That we might build our lives on the foundation that is Christ. Now, I'm not Paul Frederickson. I can't sing real well, but there's that great song, on Christ's solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. No more singing, that's it for me. But anyway, the idea is this, on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. So on Christ is our foundation. You know, our found- people build their foundations a lot of stuff, don't they? Finances, uh, family, uh, a fine mind, they're kind of things that, but all those will disappoint, all those will fall short, all those idols won't last. The sure foundation, the rock upon which we can build our lives is Jesus Christ. His word, his life, on Christ our foundation. Third is in Christ. In Christ our life giver. In Christ our life giver. Now, 164 times in the New Testament, that phrase, in Christ, in the Lord, in him, is used. And it really speaks to the fact that we have an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a union with him. That phraseology in Christ, Galatians 2.20, Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's not just identification with We are Christ followers. No, Christ inhabits us. We are in Christ. I, I love this little visual is that here's, here's our sin. Here's as God's there, he sees our sin. But as you know Christ, Christ covers your sin. God doesn't see you and your sinful, rebellious self. He sees Christ as you are in him. So you have that relationship with Christ restored as you are in Jesus Christ. You're chosen. You're adopted. You're redeemed. You're accepted. You're forgiven. All in Christ. In Christ, our life giver. That's in Christ, our life giver. Next one would be under Christ. You are through Christ. You, you, you come to God through Christ. You build your life on Christ. You live in Christ, and you are under Christ our Lord. Under Christ our Lord. Now, probably the only people who like the idea of being under something are, are people who live in Australia or New Zealand. We are down under, okay? Those are people who like being under. Otherwise, the idea of being under sounds like oh, lack of freedom. You know, I, I don't want to be under somebody else or some authoritative person. But the idea is this. Jesus said this, and you should know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, The theologians say this, before you know Christ, you're not able not to sin. You're not able not to sin. You really are in chains before you know the truth. As you know truth, and Jesus, the person, is truth, uh, your mind is freed up to understand what truth is. Your will is empowered to be obedient and faithful. So to live under Christ as as your Lord is really a position of freedom. You're able to uh, respond freely in your life, not in the chains that you were before you knew Christ. Under Christ, our Lord. With Christ, our secret. With Christ, our secret is the next one. With Christ. Now, you often hear that phrase, well, when you die, you're going to go be what? With Christ. And that's great. That is true. But, you know, it says this, that uh, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we live with the truth that Christ walks with us daily. Whatever we do, we walk with Christ, even in this world. We are with Christ. Now, the theologians kind of talk, uh, 
in, in a significant way, and I, and I like this, and it's kind of hard to delve off too much into it, but it is this, that in the four major saving events of Jesus Christ, we are with him. In the four major saving events in the life of Jesus Christ, we as Christians are with Christ. When Jesus was crucified, when he was crucified, we died with him. When he was resurrected, we rise with Christ. We have his power. When he has ascended to be with the Father, our life is now hidden with Christ. And when he comes back, we will meet Christ in the air to be with him. So in the four major saving events in the life of Christ, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, and his, and his return, you are with Christ in a real biblical sense. With Christ, our secret. With Christ, our secret. The next one would be unto Christ, our goal. Unto Christ, our goal. It really changes one's life when they realize everything they do. If they're mowing the yard, if they're cleaning dishes, if they're texting a friend, if they're exercising, everything we do, we do it unto Christ. Mother Teresa was probably the best example of that as she talked about as she cared for the, uh, the dying of Calcutta, that she saw Christ in every person. She, everything she did, she did unto Christ. Matthew 25 says that, doesn't it? It says that if you do this unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. You know, I take care of street people here at church, and uh, when they come, I, I get the call. And there's some days that, that I'm, I'm pretty good. I get their name. I kind of care. I kind of I do it unto Christ. As I do it to them, I'm doing it to the Lord. Other days, I'm not so good. I'm kind of in a hurry, kind of short, kind of run on by, I'm a little impatient. Some days, I do things, unto, I do it unto Christ. Other days, I don't. But life will change for us when we realize everything we do, even the small stuff, we do it all unto Christ. Unto Christ, our goal. Unto Christ, our goal. The next one would be for Christ, our lover. For Christ, our lover. What motivates you in your behavior? When you, do, when you do something, why do you do what you do? To be honest with you, mainly we do stuff, it makes us look good. It makes us feel good. That's the main motivation of what we do. Martin Luther said this, pretty good line. He says that humans, our natures are curved in on ourselves. Our natures are curved in. It talks about our sin nature. So we tend to do things because I want to do it. It makes me feel good. Uh, altruistic people are pretty admirable, aren't they? I grew up in Texas, of course, and the Alamo, John Wayne's Alamo, was my, one of my favorite movies. And I probably saw it 10 times in the theater. And I guess what really, it, it really, I like that movie so much because it's people who are altruistic. They gave their life for something beyond themselves. We all admire people like that, don't we? Who do something not just selfishly, but do it beyond themselves. Well, Paul says this, that we, that in Corinthians says, the love of Christ, the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. So we do things, we, we might suffer for Christ, we might reach out for Christ, we might, we are obedient for Christ. So our motivation basically is for him. That expression is a good one. Soon one life will pass, only what's done for Christ will last. Soon one life will pass, what's only done for Christ will last. That's for Christ, our lover. Finally, the last preposition. All these talk about our response, again. All these prepositions talk about our response of love to the Father. Okay, we're responding to his love. It's like Christ, our model. Like Christ, our model. Imitation is the most extreme form of flattery, isn't it? Um, the Apostle Paul says this. He said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. When I've not finished my sermon here, but the uh, people would much rather see a sermon, wouldn't they, than hear one? They'd much rather see a sermon than hear one. 
The more and more you look like Christ, the world wants to see somebody like that. The world wants to see those kind of people. And for surely, Jesus does as well. John Stott said this, I think it's great. He said, the Christian life is a process where God is making human beings more human by making them more like Christ. The Christian life is a process where God is making human beings more human by making them more like Christ. You know, the Christian life is not really about how much you succeed, it's how much you surrender. It's not about striving, it's about abiding. It's not about achieving, it's about receiving. The Christian life is about grace. It's about receiving his grace and seeing your life transformed, become more and more like Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's work, to conform you to Christ. All right? Responding love. Those are what those prepositions are. Through Christ, on Christ, in Christ, under Christ, with Christ, under Christ, for Christ, like Christ. We focus upon Jesus. He causes us to become more and more like him. My last uh, little point, very briefly, is this, that that last command, the first command was love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. Well, my last point, I need a little outline, is serving love. Serving love. I'm going to go through, I had those little first little initials there. I'm going to go through these real quickly. Now, love is, love, and when we love other people, it's a decision. It's an action, not a feeling. Uh, Bob Goff had a great book called Love Does, and, uh, and that's what it is. Love does. Uh, and just, as he talks about, just do stuff. Just do stuff. Uh, to people in your life, other folks around you, it's kind of the big, the big picture. First, as I say this, pray. When you want to love people, pray. The, uh, love is a four-letter word spelled P-R-A-Y. So the most you can do is pray. If you love people, you want to have an impact in people's lives, pray for them. Pray for them specifically. Second is C, is curious. Be curious about them. Uh, learn to ask insightful questions. People, I think most people I run into love to be asked questions. And they love to be asked questions specifically. You can ask, you can start off, well, how are your kids and how are your grandkids? But then you pick up on stuff and you ask questions. You, you care about them. And people feel loved when you care. And being curious is one way to do that. The next one says divine encounters. Divine encounters. You need to see every person in your life as a person that uh, is a, a divine encounter. There's no accident. There's a, every person in your life, there's a reason that you run to that person and, and uh, experience them. Ah, I had that one little quote. Let's see. Hold on a minute. Oh, here, 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 here it is. All right, this is about divine encounters. This is C.S. Lewis. You've got to have a C.S. Lewis quote in your sermon. You've got to do that. And here it is. It says this. This is C.S. Lewis. There are, you've probably heard this before. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as a life, uh, to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom you work, you joke, with whom you work, with whom you marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Every person you run into is immortal. Culture, civilizations pass away, says Lewis. But every person you run into is immortal. Divine encounters. And that, uh, the G is this. G is God got there before I did. God got there before I did, okay? In other words, God's at work in people's lives. He's already there. He's at work. And your part of your cue is to find out what God's doing. What's God doing? And joining God in the work that he's doing in people's lives around you, okay? So join God. That's the next one would be uh, um, H is how can I join him in the work he is doing? That's H. How can I join God in the work that he is doing? And finally, the last little thing is B is best in groups. 
best in groups. How do you love people? It's better in groups. Let's say this, you meet somebody out there and, I'm, and, and you have a relationship, but, and that guy or gal, you invite them to church and you know that I'm a basketball coach and I love basketball. And you know they're into hoop. So you want you come and introduce them to me because we'll have something, in, we've got common ground. So a way to love people is to introduce them to your Christ-following friends, okay? And that should happen in the body of Christ. So the, the B is best in groups. You love people best when you invite them into the body of Christ and introduce them to other people, okay? Pray, curious, divine encounters. God got there before I did. How can I join the work that he is doing and best in groups, okay? That's serving love. God's initiating love, our responding love, and finally, our serving love. It's all about love. It's all about Jesus. May we pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the truth of the gospel that uh, you're an initiator. You come where we are. You're the hound of heaven. You pursue us. You desire to know us uh, intimately in a a union, a love relationship. Lord, teach us how to love you more. Teach us how to be faithful disciples that we might um, reflect the the love of Christ. And Lord, uh, teach us how to serve as well and serving love that people might see Christ in us. The next generation uh, might see Christ in us. Lord, as we as a body of Christ train others to reach the next generation, for Jesus Christ. May that be true of us. Lord, we give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, it's my joy now to introduce to you all a, uh, a child of the church. Uh, this is Tim Hagen. He is uh, not the favorite child of Hugh and Susan. He's, they got five. I know they're not, but he's just one of them, and a special one at that. And Tim is uh, a 